Welcome to the Arm and Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. We are at the vault surrounded by all these awesome supercars. Today, we have a great episode. We're talking real estate, finance, and supercars. Come check it out. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. Today, we have an exciting guest with us, Navy veteran and local real estate agent and total car guru, Chris Kozier. So Chris, I want to welcome you to the show, man, and thanks for coming. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, I don't know if I'm a car guru or not, but I definitely enjoy them. Yeah, well, we're both car guys, so we found it pretty appropriate um, to come hang out. We're at the Vault in uh, Miramar, which is a, a car storage place. It's also kind of a club. They have meeting rooms and um, a coffee bar and a bar and a patio. So this is like total gearhead hangout place, you know, for people who are total car lovers. And so, um, Chris and I both are car lovers and we have our, our, um, hot rods behind us here and <laughs> yeah. drove them down for the show and tried to get them into the shoot. Um, so Chris, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, you know, we're both, both veterans and both in the real estate industry here in San Diego. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of a lot that we can talk about. There's a lot happening in the industry and, um, you know, and I, I imagine like some of our experience and your experience kind of parlays into, you know, how we're functioning in the industry today. So, um, I guess give our, our audience a little bit of a background on, on you and, you know, your, your military experience, you know, what, what prompted you to join the military and, and tell us about it. Any, any cool stories or things, experiences you have that you'd like to share with us? Okay. Um, well, uh, there's tons of stories, of course, in the military, you got a story for every week, I guess. But, sure. uh, uh, yeah, so I'm originally from New York, Long Island, uh, you know, young kid trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And, uh, really there was not a lot of talk of college when, when I was young. So I was like, all right, how do I get up out of here? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just wanted to explore. Right. And what I, what I, where I was living, I was just like, ah, you know, I want to see more you know, cause you see things on TV and whatnot. So, um, I thought the Navy was the best fit for me. I did, I had all, a lot of friends going to the Marine Corps and, um, you know, I enjoyed being a tough guy, but I didn't want to be the tough guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the Navy has air condition. There you go. Now, that's <laughs> so, an important factor. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I joined the Navy, uh, spent 10 years in honorably discharged and, uh, just, a uh, world of experience traveling visiting different countries seeing different cultures and people and really getting appreciation for what we have here in the u.s yeah what was your job in the navy what'd you do uh, i was a fire controlman and so what uh, a lot of people confuse that with is uh fighting fires and it's not it's okay. actually for the gun weapon it's a weapon system so uh our our system actually uh produced a fire control solution to and and it on the USS Iowa in particular, um, you would want to aim your round on site, but you're talking tens of miles, right? So this right. isn't like line of sight thing. So you have to plot and plan. And so the fire control solution provides all that information so you can hit the target accurately. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so. fire like you're firing at, not starting a fire. <laughs> That's right. right. Or putting out a fire. Putting yeah. Fire, so yeah. Uh, one of the coolest things uh, when I was on the ship is uh, we did a 24-mile uh shot accurately like on target wow yeah and that's actually goes down in the record books actually so that was pretty cool that's really cool yeah, yeah. nice um so any cool countries like favorites that you got to visit uh everybody every country has something different to offer and different experiences so um man it's tough 
I'm trying to think. Uh, one of more recent memories, not on the Iowa, but when I was on the uh, Vincennes, uh, we went to like Hawaii, right? And then, then we went over to uh, Korea, Japan, stuff like that. And I thought that was super neat because I was always curious about the culture. Yeah. And um, so that was that was awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So 10 years in the Navy and then um, you got out. Did you end up here in San Diego right after you got out of the Navy? Uh, no. So I, I I got here through the Navy because I was stationed here. Sure. Um, but I originally was in Florida and it was time to to get out. I went to Massachusetts for a job. Okay. Like I just I needed to get a job, right? So right. pretty much I got out on Friday, started my job on Monday. Oh wow! Right? Yeah, the whole military thing—you don't—you don't mess around. Right? Sure, you yeah. Get everything <laughs> lined up and get it, get organized. Yeah. And so, yeah. So in the Boston area, northeast of Boston, this uh, little place called Gloucester, uh, they had a, a capital equipment manufacturing company there. And um, if you don't know where Gloucester is, there's like the movie Perfect Storm. Oh, it's yeah. about that. Yeah, okay. that little town there. So. Um, but yeah, that was my, my start into civilian life and, um, and I actually traveled with that job too. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Really cool. So now in San Diego, in the real estate industry, mm -hmm. um, which is, as everyone knows right now, the real estate market's on fire, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, probably driven by super low interest rates. So, I mean, the, the demand is high. Um, you know, what are you, what's your experience in, in the market right now? What, what kind of things are you seeing and are you? What do you project? What do you think is going to come next year for us? Well, there's all kinds of projections, and I, I I honestly can't predict because we got so many factors that are not normal factors, right? right. We have the COVID. Um, we have uh, you know businesses getting locked down, open back up, locked down. You have the forbearances. You know you have the the lack of inventory, right? And we're in Southern California, so we're kind of a, a unique little micro market right sure and so um it, it's really tough because there's a lot of projections about you know next year being the year the bubble right but right. they've been talking about a bubble for five years and i'm talking still, about a bubble since the bubble right? <laughs> yeah, pretty, <laughs> basically yeah pretty much pretty much so you know uh, my advice for somebody that's really looking i'm like hey if you have like a, a modest plan maybe a 10-year plan uh, and you want to get in because interest rates are phenomenal right so yeah um you know, you, you, if, if you can, right, you definitely need to enter the market. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's interesting you bring up that stuff because on the lending side, you know, obviously all that's impacted us as well. Right. So the, the COVID thing with businesses opening and closing and opening and closing, you know, that's added a couple steps on in the back end on our process, yeah. you know, which most notably is like verifying employment. So we have our normal, you know, pre COVID before COVID, we'd verify employment a couple of times through the process, but now that we're adding even more like right before funding on a loan, you know, they're calling and doing that verbal verification just to double check, make sure the like the company's still open. <laughs> this guy's still working. Like we're going to yeah. get paid, right. They're going to pay on this loan. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so it has been a little more intense and, um, yeah. And the forbearance thing is obviously a concern. And as part of that verification, right. Is to make sure that, Hey, you guys are planning on being open. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and the needle's constantly moving. So it's hard to project something, you know, and that's is. why I'm, uh, whenever I advise somebody, it's like, Hey, you know, do you have a stable job? Right. You know, what is, what is your, you know, your next three years going to look like, you know, are you, are you, do you plan on, you know, just hanging tight kind of thing? Cause yeah. you know, anything under three year plan, I, I would probably, you know, stay still. 
Yeah, no, I think that's good advice. Um, and what are you seeing with like the military right now? I mean, we're they're slowly starting to get PCS orders. You know, COVID has obviously impacted that too. Um, how are you seeing that with you know kind of your client base and and um, the home purchase segment here on the buy side? Um, so just so you know, I, I work with a lot of listings more so than buyers nowadays because I, I, it just naturally happened that way. Yeah. Um, I, I do have tons of buyers and they're, everybody's kind of just struggling now with military guys, you know, with the, with the orders. That makes everything even more complicated. So you just got that multi-layer cake of complication. Yeah. And so you really got to have a solid plan. And because uh, the offers are so competitive now, that's even more challenging too to get uh, a VA deal accepted. Yeah, you know, because I, I I personally believe it's the best uh, loan for the borrower, but sellers look at it and they're like, well, closing costs and different things like that. And right, you know, with the competition right now, you just have to position position the offer correctly with the VA loan so yeah. that you get accepted. Yeah, and with the VA loan right now, I think you know what I what I've been witnessing is, you know the the time period of asking the seller to pay for any of the costs is pretty much not existing right now for the most part. Um, so you have to be in a position where you can contribute some cash to the deal, even though you can finance 100% of the purchase price, mm-hmm. you know, there still are those transaction fees, those closing costs. Right. And, um, and typically, you know, before COVID it was pretty normal Yes. To have the seller contribute to some of that, sometimes pay all of it or at least a chunk of it, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But now you got to come in and be a little stronger with your offers because now you're competing with other buyers who aren't asking for that stuff, and right. um, and shoot, even going above asking price on a lot of this. Right? Yeah, and, you know, obviously it gets a little sketchy with appraisals and different things like that. But I, I will say, um, I did sell a, a starter condo to a young man. Uh, which I was very proud of him because he's young. He's in his early 20s and, oh, he, nice. and he bought himself a piece of property. And because the seller was a veteran, he was like, yeah, they gave me 3%, you know, so I'm absolutely going to do that. That's and so really cool. That, yeah, that was awesome. And that's the one thing I do uh, um, appreciate about fellow veterans. They, they do acknowledge um, that, hey, you know, this isn't easy. You know, I've done it and I'm going to support another fellow veteran that's going to do it as well. That's really cool. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen a couple instances too, where the, the seller was a vet. And even though there was a, a bunch of offers and and who knows, you know, I wouldn't know which one was the best one, but they, you know, the one from the veteran was a good one. Right. And that's the one that they chose, you know, kind of keeping it in the family. So that's, that's actually been a really cool, like positive note through all this like intense, like negotiation and <laughs> right. offers flying and counter offers and like all this yeah, stuff going yeah. back and forth is um, at the end of the day, it's, there's still people right behind, right. behind these, you know? No. And, and, and I can say San Diego as, as a whole is a pretty good uh, military town. Um, I've been to a lot of uh, places and uh, you know, they really appreciate veterans and it, it, I, I am a, I'm a shy guy by nature, um, which is, contrary to what we're doing here <laughs> but you know you know as a veteran you're at the ball game or you're doing something and it, all the veterans stand up so we can applaud and you know and, I'm, and my wife's always like get up get up you know and i'm like ah, okay you know but i'm always shy about that but uh definitely san diego supports the troops for sure yeah yeah this is a really great like military town and i think um it's as expensive as it is it's really advantageous for 
you know, military, Marines and Navy primarily when they get PCS here. Yeah. Um, it's a great place to buy real estate. Um, your BAH is higher. So yeah. even though the price tags are more on the houses, you know, there's some equilibrium there a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you're owning a piece of Southern California real estate. Right. You know, so the demand, I think the demand's always been really strong. Right. And, and mm-hmm. San Diego's cool because it's, it's, it has a pretty diverse economy. Obviously, there's a lot of military, so a lot of government employment. But there's a lot of other industries in this area that are prominent that help keep balance, right? And, yeah. um, and keep that demand and keep people moving in here. Um, so it keeps that demand high. So it's, it's a really smart PCS move to make an investment. Owning a piece of property in Southern California is a huge deal. I said, don't ever you know, uh, mistake it for something else. You know, you, you need to be proud of yourself. And every, there's a lot of people when the market crashed last time, uh, people were coming from everywhere. I mean, I met people, Ohio, you know, Canada, wow. you know, just all over the United States. They're coming here because the media was pushing them saying, Hey, you know, Southern California is on sale, I guess, which it kind of was, it was yeah. but the market was still aggressive and, you know, multiple offers. And that's when the short sales were early on. And, and you know, people were paying, and banks were paying um, closing mm-hmm. costs and things like that. And um, you know, and so you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future here. Yeah. But uh, if if this so-called bubble pops again, you'll see the influx of people coming from other places because we are living the dream. Right. Yeah. You know? Totally. Well, I think that kind of comes to like that that comment of like timing the market, right? Which is kind of a buzz that we hear. And and when I talk to people about it, you know, I advise them not to time the market. And I think you know, probably the greatest orator of that is Warren Buffett, right? And if you'd ever read anything or listened to to what he says, he never t- advises to try and time a market. Like you're, you're never going to time it just right. Yeah, and, um, right. you know, if by chance there was a bubble and, you know, there was a, a pullback on, on home prices, just what you were saying and kind of what we experienced. Like I remember being here in like 2011, 2012 when it was really on sale, but you couldn't hardly buy anything because cash investor type people were coming and going, Hey, it's on sale. It sounds cool to be able to like time the market, get a deal. Right. But if you're still financing and getting a mortgage and stuff like that, the opportunity for the deal deal is probably going to slip through your fingertips because you got the guy with cash. Right. And they're going to swoop in there, you know, most of the time. So, I mean, just getting into the market at any point, you know, is, is smart. Yeah, getting started is is the best thing you could do for yourself. Just because, um, you know, if you don't start, you're going to stand on the sidelines, and it's just going to pass you by. You know, and it's tough no matter what timing it is, right? Yeah. But I do, I do sit down and say, okay, what, wh- where are we at now? What does everything look like? What is your financial picture, et cetera, et cetera? And then what's good for you now? And then looking forward, you know, you know, a few years, but you you can't predict everything perfectly it's sure. just and also it's kind of a fool's errand to tie, you know it's not the stock market right you know things are affected differently all the time so and you're not really flipping your primary home right that you're not flipping that so um you know buying your primary residence is something that is going to be more than a a quick buy sell opportunity right you're, the right. plan is really to live in there for a while mm-hmm. and i think um you know having that mindset you know the real estate market is a market right just like the stock market, right? And there's there's always ups and downs, right? Um, over time, the home market has proven that it goes up, but that's right. not without a few dips here and there, right? And so, right. you know, it's it's a long game, I guess. In other words, right? It's not it's not the short game. 
No, exactly. And that's why, uh, you know, everybody wants to steal everything, right? You want to get something for less and, or, you know, I, it just, it's not happening right now. Yeah. It's just not, you know, unless there's something horribly wrong with the house, whether it's foundation or something like that. But, um, you know, the market's doing what it's doing and you just got to, you know, roll with the punches, like you were saying, because it will go up and down. Um, but the one thing that remains the same is Southern California real estate and specifically San Diego is extremely desirable. And right. so it's people are always coming here. This is the dream. It was my dream. You know, I was stationed here on 32nd Street and I was like, man, one of these days I'm coming back because, you know, I like to set the, the climate thermostat at 72. Right. Plus or minus, you know, and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. That's one yeah. of the reasons that I moved too. Um, but yeah, I mean the, 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 um, the other cool benefit. And if you want to think of like getting a deal, like rates, that's the deal right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the deal. Right. Finance. And I think sometimes we um, just naturally as consumers, right. We get kind of hung up on price, but the interest is what will kill you. Right. Absolutely. You know, so if you can get a super cheap house, but your interest rate is 8% or 4% versus getting a home that costs more, but your rates in the twos, right. Where are you winning more? And, um, you know, over time that low interest rate is going to, is going to be the deal that was better than. than right. And, I, and I'm definitely that mindset. And I was having kind of a philosophical discussion with a client about that. Cause he's like, well, I maybe need more interest you know, to write things off. And I'm like, Hey, it's, it's always a math problem. That's what I always tell people. It's a math problem. Right. Do the math and what works best for you. But I know long money over 30 years, I'd much rather be paying 2% or two and a half, three 3% than 6%. I'm long, just saying, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're, you know, yeah, you're, you're paying at the top of the market right now with, with home prices and stuff, but 10, 15 years from now, that house is going to be appreciated much more. So, you know, it always hurts in the beginning. Yeah. It always does. Always. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you handle a lot of, you're more listing heavy than buyer side heavy. Yeah. Um, as a listing agent being in this like hot frenzy that we're in right now in the housing market, what kind of things are you seeing that um, maybe, maybe some, some pros and cons, like some things you're seeing from buyers that are like, yeah, that's just not ever going to fly versus like, here's what we're seeing on the stuff that we're saying yes to. Um, what, what kind of, what can you share with us and what you're seeing right now? Well, um, a lot of things because there's multiple offers, right? Concessions, right? Sellers are just not interested in giving concessions. Why? Because they don't have to. Right. Right. So, you know, repairs, uh, you know, credits, things like that. They're just like, Hey, you give me a bag of money. I'll walk away. Right. So you have to position the offer in such a way where it's as, as smooth and pain-free as possible. Because they just don't want to see, you know, they don't want to know somebody's going to be asking for some weird, you know, things. And also relationships, which um, it's not spoken about a lot. But whenever I um, receive an offer, I'm looking at it and I call I call the agent and I have a long conversation with them to really see. Because if I don't know them by reputation or just by doing business, I want to know what, what their um, style is or whatever. Because some agents are, you know, yellers and screamers. Yep. Some are smooth operators and some are in between, you know, and then some people just like to, you know, the, they come in super high and then they want to negotiate backwards and and they have a history of that. So, that, you know, everybody has their own reputation of doing certain things, certain ways. Sure. And so it's important to, you know, to see, 
and then I always advocate, you know, these are the most important things to my seller are, and it could be anything from money to time, right? You know, uh, could be free rent backs, you know, so you have to get really creative in, in the process. And, um, you know, cause highest is not always best. Right. And right. I, you know, it's funny you say that cause I tell my clients the same thing, you know, as we're going through that pre-approval stage and we're, we're pre-approved and they're getting ready to go out there on the house hunt. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell them, you know, my pre-approval process is maybe a little more in depth than some other lenders. Cause I want to make sure that it's all the way buttoned up. Right. But I tell them part of the other fringe benefit to that is speed too. So now we don't have as much to do once you're in escrow. And, and I tell them the same thing, like some of these sellers, highest price isn't the driving factor, right? Maybe they got a job transfer and they got a hard date that they have to be on the other side of the country for their new job or something like that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or family demands or whatever are forcing them more on a calendar date, more over, more, more importantly than the price, although that is important, but the, that other issue might be more pressing to them. Right. And so kind of as a package, you're having the best offer, right? Yeah. And then as a buyer, because I do have buyers too, but, um, you know, I always use the analogy of having a bullet and a gun ready to go. You got to, you got to be locked and loaded because you can't just drive by a house. Oh, I love that house. And then, and then call your lender. Right. Because right? it's too late. It's right? already gone. Especially in Southern California. It's just way too late. It's gone. Yeah. It's yeah. already gone. So you, you just got to be ready, ready to go. And having that, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't like to use the word pre-approval, but having that financial analysis done so that you know that you're going to you know, get them done quickly mm -hmm. and be able to perform. Yeah. That is the biggest thing, performing, because things are falling out now because people are accepting the highest offer. And then all of a sudden, something in the loan process happens or who knows their job situation. It, 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 it depends. But, um, you know, it falls out. And then now you're back on the market. And you never really want to get in that position as a seller, you know. But some sellers are like, I want the most money. And I have to say, hey, let's just look at everything first and understand who is presenting what. And, and you know, and I will interview everybody to really understand where, where they're at. Yeah. And then depending, because, you know, sellers are the ones that are the bottom line, right? They're, right. It's their house. They want to sell the it. yes or no on it. Yeah, right? absolutely. But I can just give my information and recommendations and then they decide from there. Um, and sometimes they just want the most money, you know? And, I'm like, and so okay. that is what it is sometimes. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And absolutely. But sometimes they, you know, and, and this happened to me multiple times. I want this veteran to have this house. You know, yeah. Just point blank. I'm like, boom. I'm like, okay, sweet. Yeah. And, and that gives me a good feeling, you know, and because it doesn't happen that often, you know, and it's, right. it's nice because it, it is so hard out here in Southern California because the prices are really, really high. And, and, um, you got to, you know, you got to get every advantage you can. Yeah. Right. Well, and you got to, and I, I, I advocate to people too. You got to assemble your team, right? Like you have to have yeah. a good team supporting you. Um, and I think kind of back to that, like that price consumer mentality that we all have, right. Is like, well, I'm going to find the cheapest, mm -hmm. right. I'm going to find mm -hmm. the, the home for the best deal, the realtor for the cheapest I can get, the lender for the cheapest I can get. And that, <laughs> that sometimes becomes the driving motivating factor. And, you know, in a buyer's market, maybe that helps you a little, I don't know, but definitely in a seller's market, it, it reverses that thinking because now you need the service more than, than the price because prices are already crazy low on the finance side anyways. Um, but you need that service, right? You need mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You need the agent that is really good, can help you a negotiate, but B like you were mentioning, 
has that relational ability, has the experience in the market where people know, right? They right. know they get an offer from Chris. They know how you operate. They know your reputation. They're like, okay, mm -hmm. this is one I, I'm pretty sure that we would be happy working with. Let's, you know, let's dig deeper on that offer type of thing. And same thing with the lender, you know, you know, they come with ABC lender from, you know, online yeah. versus yeah. someone who's local to the market, who's known by the other agents as well, has a reputation behind them and stuff like that. Um, that's how you start winning. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's just, it gets frustrating sometimes because, you know, oh, it's too expensive to do this or that or whatever. But, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, you go, you go to the attorney or to the doctor and the bill is the bill, right? Um, so as a buyer, I always recommend definitely hiring a professional because you need somebody to, to take you through the path. Because, you know, you got inches of paperwork, not alone the loan part, but uh, on the actual transaction part. And right. you need somebody to help you, you know, and then if there's, uh, you know, extra things that happen there, you have to get directed because you don't know. Yeah. And even if you've done it two or three times, you still don't know because it's so infrequent, you know. Yeah. Unless you're buying a house every week, you're not going to be proficient. You need somebody that's doing it all the time, whether you're buying or selling, you know. But these discount um, situations, it, it's just... You don't, you don't get the quality and the service that you, you really need. 100%. Yep. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, well, I know we're probably teasing and tempting our audience a little bit with these cool cars behind us. You want to <laughs> tell us about your ride, man? Let's, let's learn about this Porsche a little. Tell us. Yeah. So, uh, man, I'm super excited just to be in this building, just sitting here. This building is cool. cool. Yeah. I mean, I already did a full tour and everything. But uh, what I have here is a 1987 uh, 911 Turbo. Um, aka the widow maker is kind of a, a famous uh, moniker that it has and uh 3.3 liter single turbo uh four speed supercar of the 80s you know it's beautiful and, yeah and it's just got such good lines and you know it just i like just looking at it sitting here you know yeah yeah there's something there's something about porsches right like mm -hmm. just the lines on them and and even how they've evolved over time like the relation between like the 911 as it's gone through its years and so in the different models, you know, like you can see that the translation and how they're still related. Yeah. Really and, cool. and then the, the Porsche guys are pretty strict. So you get punished if you kind of go out of line too much with these guys. <laughs> and that's why the 996 had that problem with the headlights and the, and the styling. Um, but the 911 has been, it's, it's been an evolution because some cars, they just jump to different, uh, platforms or you know look entirely and stuff like that because i know yours has right yeah. over time yeah porsche doesn't do that you know because they get penalized like their their audience is really tough yeah and uh recently uh i've been looking at a 991.2 which nobody really knows what that is but it's a it's a 911 uh gt3 and they built it between i think 2016 and 19 and that makes it the dot two right gotcha and um that car has a manual the one before it the dot one did not and so the the porsche files got all together you know got their pitchforks out <laughs> i want a manual and lo and behold boom they they made a manual as a no cost option which is interesting yeah that, that is usually there's an upcharge when they make a change like a that. huge upcharge yeah, yeah absolutely yeah because yeah, i know you know other other car called bmws and different car cultures too it's kind of the same thing like they fight for that stick shift that manual yeah and like oh yeah no problem it's another 20 grand but you can have it <laughs> no no exactly exactly so so yeah i mean it was just amazing just to, uh, for the opportunity to come here and when i was in here i was just like wow this is 
this is sweet. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> you can't see, or if you're listening, you can't see what we can see, but I mean, this, this, uh, storage facility is really top of the line. I mean, there's all sorts of supercars in here. There's a spiker. We saw there's Ferraris, McLarens, um, Bentleys, Lamborghinis. There is all sorts of it's AC Cobra right there. AC Cobra. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is some cool stuff. What have, have you done any modifications to your car? Uh, yeah, I did a little bit. So, um, I, uh, so I had the top end rebuilt on the car, um, just because one of the cylinders had a bad leak down. So all the internals are stock, but everything on the outside of that is, is modified. So, uh, what does that mean? Headers, turbo, intercooler, um, exhaust, fuel management, uh, you know, so everything on the outside. And so now, uh, it was originally a 282 horsepower car, and it's probably closer to 400. Now. Awesome. Yeah. I bet it handles great, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I mean, I just literally, when I was coming on to, to Miramar here, it was uh, the light was yellow. <laughs> <laughs> so I went around there, a little, you know, a little aggressive, and that thing just stuck, you know. It, yeah. It's it's great. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, well, my car um, is a 95 Toyota Supra, twin turbo, six-speed. Um, it's an inline switch inline six. Um, and it's, it's been pretty heavily modified. I mean, almost everything is modified on it. Was that like 2 million horsepower? Um, no, actually it's 727 to the wheels. We just had nice. it tuned. Yeah. Wow. 656 foot pounds of torque, but I'm running a single turbo precision 64 millimeter turbo, um, flex fuel. So it's running on E85, but it can run pump gas or whatever. Oh, nice. Um, and then the head's been built. So oversized valves and camshaft springs, retainers, all that stuff. Um, ported so it can rev pretty high but aftermarket downpipe turbo exhaust intercooler yeah you got everything in there <laughs> yeah it's 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 all pretty much been done so there's there's only a couple of little things left that could be done to it but um yeah wow. it's yeah. it's becoming a beast oh uh, it is a beast so th- i'll never forget the first time i saw one of these i was um in new jersey i was stationed in morristown new jersey it was a shore duty station and um, I worked part time at a gas station because I had a lot of time on my hands, right? So, yeah. and they, they just, I guess, came out. I've, I don't know their their year range. Ninety. Well, this body style, the Mark IV, they call it, was came out in like late '93, which was a '94 model. Okay, yeah. So this thing came in with the wing and the big lights and all this stuff, and there was like two guys, maybe three guys in there, just giddy laughing about it, right? Because it was such an exciting event for them to get get this car and. You know, they've got the first fill up at the gas station kind of thing and yeah. all that. And I was just like, wow, that thing is nowhere near what it used to look like, you right. know, and that, that's literally my favorite model. Just, just uh, the way it looks, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a timeless shape. Um, there's, there's a lot of hubbub about the, the new version um, yeah. that recently came out and, uh, the, the, the Mark four purists, you know, that have this body style, the majority of them aren't real big fans of the new one. Um, I'm not either, but, um, (laughs) it's not my favorite, (laughs) but you got to make progress, right? You got to break it to fix it, I guess. Right. Right. And you know, there's a lot of stress on these uh, manufacturers to do different things, but, uh, definitely like a lot of cars, like I have a, also a 1988 BMW M3. So it's the first M3, uh, that they made for the road there. And it was, it's, it was always the measuring stick because it, they, it had a culmination of, uh, things that they put together for it that made it very magical. So the suspension is amazing. Uh, it's not overpowered for the chassis. So it's a great driver's car. 
um, and uh, they try to reproduce that magic over and over. And they, they, they never have just because you just kind of can't. Everything came right. together just right on that particular car. Yeah. And then that one was a race car that they made for the street versus normally it's a street car made to race. Right. So mm -hmm. that was a unique thing for that one. And then, of course, these guys, they had 935s, uh, turbo cars racing with like a bajillion horsepower. I went to uh, uh, the track in Monterey. Yep. Uh, Laguna Seca. Laguna Seca, yeah. And we were watching, uh, we were at Rensport, and the 935s were just as fast as the cup cars, the modern day 991 cup cars at the wow. time. Yeah. I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it. This car is in the 70s. And. These other cars are like 2000 and whatever's and they're same. Like they're hitting the same speed right on the straightaway every time. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. The, some of the super guys and I in uh, San Diego area, we uh, occasionally get together and go for drives and stuff and um, do these uh, half mile airstrip attack races, which are a lot of fun. Oh, wow. If you've never been to one, it's pretty cool. They usually, you know, rent out um, a small airfield somewhere and, a lot of cars show up, which is, it's kind of like being here, right? You'll have Porsches and Ferraris and, you know, exotics and, you know, and GTRs and, you know, Corvettes, like all sorts of cars will roll up M3s, you know, mm -hmm. and um, you essentially just kind of get in line and you just race whoever you, you're next to. And it's a, it's a half mile roll. Oh, race. wow. Where do they do that? Um, all over the place. Um, there's an airstrip like out in Bishop, which was the last one that I had been okay. to, but you know. Um, kind of more off the beaten path airstrips, right? You can't be in a big, you know, frequented airstrip area. But, um, but yeah, usually like you get rolling up to about 35, 40 miles an hour and there's cones, you know, and once you get to that cone, you're supposed to stay kind of even and then, then you punch it from there. And so you're getting up to about maybe 40 miles an hour before you really get on it. Sure. And um, it's a ton of fun. And it's, it's a cool culture event because um, it's just kind of, it's just everyone there is just a car guy. Right. And yeah, you're, yeah. you're just driving your car fast and having a good time and appreciating for what, appreciating is there, yeah. for what it is. And, and the guy next to you, and yeah, sometimes you get thumped yeah. and sometimes you do the thumping. Right. And, um, <laughs> right. but it doesn't matter. You're just, you're just yeah, yeah. going there, having fun and just line up against whoever you line up against. And, and that's what it's all about. I think is just that culture and, and having fun with it. Yeah, and that's the thing, what I love about being in, in San Diego or Southern California, because the car culture is so huge. I mean, just, this is a testament right here. I mean, you got all, all types of cars back there and um, they're all amazing, you know, in their own right. So, I mean, I'm looking at that. I don't know what year that is, like a seventies year uh, Riviera with the clamshell headlights up there on the, on the rack, you know, and then you got a 67 Mustang. I mean, I'm sorry, Corvette. So yeah, it, yeah this is great. Yeah. That's really, really <laughs> cool. Um, well, Chris, man, I think we should go spend some time checking out some cars. We'll yeah. let everybody run on the podcast. All um, right. But uh, I want to say thanks for carving out some time today. I know you're super busy because the market is hot right now. And um, so thanks for taking some time out to spend with us on on the Armed and Ready podcast and uh, sharing your story a little bit. It's always great to have a vet on that's in the industry and then also a car guy too, which is, you know, the trifecta. So. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, it's definitely uh, – a subject that's not talked about uh, veterans you know we, we don't we don't get that much airplay right so it's always nice to to have some time to spend on that awesome well thanks man appreciate you all right Take thanks care. all right hey thanks for checking out the episode if you have any questions on anything we talked about today feel free to reach out to me at valoneguy.us <laughs>